Welcome back to the Crash the Pond podcast. It is a Monday, December 26th edition of the show. Happy, well, I guess happy late Merry Christmas to everyone. I don't know if that made any happy, sense. Happy Boxing Day. Happy, yeah, sure. If you if you celebrate Boxing Day, I uh, hope that went well for you. Hope everyone had a great weekend. It's kind of nice having Christmas on the weekend. It feels... Uh, this is like, I think, the most adult statement I've ever made. Having it on the weekend is great because uh, I get a typically a half day on Christmas Eve and Christmas off. Mm-hmm. So I had a half day on Friday and today off. Like Yeah, so like it gets it, extended. Honestly, it works out great. And so I feel like if you were like a kid, all granted school would be out, so it wouldn't really make a difference. Yeah. But I feel like any like holiday being on the weekend sucks because yes. it's like, oh, you don't get the, the same thing and everything like that. But I feel like as an adult, it's like, oh, this, this works out very nicely. So... Yeah, I feel like it's a very adult thing. Yeah, did you get any presents, Jake? Did you or did you get some some coal? I did not get any coal. Did, did Santa, you? Did, did, did you? Santa, no, no, I got some very very nice gifts. I feel very like happy. if we were to pull the audience, they would think it's more likely you got coal than I would. Wow, thanks, thanks guys. No problem, no problem. <laughs> I mean, I'm just speaking the truth here. Uh, yeah, I got some nice gifts. I, I think the one that I'm the happiest about is. Uh, we got a baby mon- a new baby monitor oh, that that's right. is a very nice one. So that's I'm right. very, very happy about that. And I got some rainbow uh, slippers. Oh, that's right. I saw the picture of those. Yeah. yeah. There you go. They're very comfortable. How about you? Love what did you get? You. I got um, I got some protein powder. Very happy about that. What what type? What type? Uh, I got the... It's actually sitting somewhere in here, but grass-fed grass-fed whey protein isolate from i think it's garden of life or something oh. it's very very tasty very delicious very healthy very bougie brand it's very bougie but i do think that with protein powder there's uh you can really go all the way down well, the totem you pole want good quality yeah like you're putting it into your body because you just worked out so i feel like dumping a bunch of junk in is probably not the way to go also got an apple watch <laughs> so wow very that was that was wow. an unexpected one but i'm very happy about it wow um yeah so it was a pretty damn good christmas for me that is a very good one yeah i got it it's the 44 millimeter too i've had apple watches in the past they were 38 millimeter but the added size is, is nice feels more official so anyway don't have, don't have so can't can't oh yeah you're down. a fitbit guy despite I, having an iphone yeah don't you want the consistency in the ecosystem the thing that i and We'll get to hockey eventually, I swear, <laughs> folks. Uh, I like the fact that the Fitbit uh, lasts longer, so I only have to charge it like once a week. So mm-hmm. I can wear, wear it to sleep, track sleep, tracks everything throughout the day, don't have to worry about taking it off and charging it. I basically wear it 24-7 outside of when it tells me it's dead once a week. Yeah, I yeah, that's true. The, the battery life for Apple Watch is not as great. Yeah. I wore it last night to track my sleep and uh, can't confirm I don't snore. It's now confirmed. Wow. I listened to those creepy recordings. You know, oh, I, d- I got I, the. Fr- I did not know it does that. Wow. I got, I, no, this is like an app you download. I got the free oh. trial, which I immediately canceled. Um, so it doesn't automatically renew. That, Life hack, that's, by the way. That, that's the best way to do it. Make sure you're in your subscriptions on, on your uh, iPhone settings <laughs> and do that. Yeah. But anyway, so don't snore. Very happy about that. Um, we should probably talk about hockey, though, because I don't think people want to. Eat my ass and Reese is saying small sample, though, on that, Felix. Well, I've been told I don't snore multiple times now. 
And I have evidence that I've procured through this sleep app. So I'm feeling the, feeling good about my argument. By the way, before we get to hockey, I want to mention this. Okay. Because I did not mention it last week. But you were shamed into moving your desk around and having a much better backdrop. Yeah, I was. I yeah. was. Well, so here's the deal. I had been contemplating changing. Like, I've been very dissatisfied with the status of my room slash office for the last few months. And because of law school, just wasn't in a position to really do that. And now that I'm, I have some time off, I decided, you know what? Now's the time to do it. And then I got that that the meme tweet kind of mocking me. So I thought, you know, this is good. I needed this kick in the <laughs> you, pants. You were shamed into doing it. You were no, peer I wasn't pressured. You were peer I was pressured. already thinking about doing it. I peer already pressure. wanted to do it. Well, it looks nice. The little plant looks nice. Thank the pop you. figures look nice. Yeah. Looks good. I now, little... I, now my setup actually looks worse that I have a box in the corner. That yeah, I the problem with yours is it has all the foundational pieces, but there's too much like busyness going on. <laughs> we might just we, we might just never get to hockey. What does that mean? Is it just the boxes that I need to clean up? Is that what you're talking what, about? Yeah, what I'm saying is you have all the shelves, you have the nice wall decoration, mm-hmm. which is actually something I'm lacking. Uh, but it's just those boxes, man. Like there's just, yeah, they're left the- from, from not having been unpacked yet. So I'll, I'll move things around, you know, now I, now I need to, now you've been shamed. Time. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. I mean, this isn't really a shaming. It's just, you brought it up. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Should we move on to hockey? Yeah. So the Anaheim ducks are currently on break. They're currently enjoying their Christmas break and yes. they do not play again until Wednesday. So this this podcast is going to have a little time to marinate once it goes up. But over the last week, we saw the Ducks play in three different games with, I don't want to say three, like the, not three games that felt the exact same, but three games with similar themes, similar trends being established. We saw that the Ducks winning streak, which we had touted on the last podcast, uh, did, did not last. It, no, it, it, it did was not. in fact broken. And now a losing streak is afoot. <laughs> So, yeah. So the the two game winning streak has turned into a three game losing streak. Well, and the the trend that's emerged from this these couple games honestly dates back to that Oilers game even, right? Yes. Where yes. shocking that that Oilers game was not a repeatable formula of success. Yeah, for for success. I mean, you look back on the game, right? We we broke it down last week a, a decent amount. Um but the fact that the Ducks really flatlined a- after the Strom goal and really only played like a period and a half, slightly less than that. And if you're looking at these last couple games, I mean, for the most part, the Ducks only played a period in almost every single one of these games. Outside of the single period, I think in the, the Flames game, the third period, they played okay. Um, they, they still, once they tied it up, they were kind of back and forth, had some chances here and there. But the first period was really the only period they played well in. The second period was was god-awful. And then against the Kings, the, the first game of these three, same thing. First period, only good period. Rest of them pretty much flatlining when they were down and just really kind of succumbed to all the pressure that the Kings were able to mount. And you look at the wild game, same exact story. The I mean, this one might even be the worst where the there really might not have even been a period where you could say the Ducks played well. Maybe it was the second period. Um, when they had a little, they were able to score a goal and, uh, find some success. Um, but man, that was a rough game. And and so, I mean, you look at all these and, and you can find minor positives, but there's massive, massive issues from these three games. And I, 
I mean, take your pick on what you think the biggest one is, but I mean, there's the coaching concerns with the wild game of making the changes. I mean, I can, can we just start there or you want anything? I was add? thinking we could, let's just go through each game. And so okay. we'll quick, we'll quickly get to that. Cause the, yep. the, the Kings game, I mean, there's not a ton to say, but the first game of the week ducks lost four to one against LA. And I thought that this was a game where it was kind of, it kind of felt like a game where the Ducks had an opportunity to to continue to to build on the good vibes that were building from the last couple of games. Yeah. Despite the fact that, like we said, they had not played a sound game against Edmonton, but they had managed to win and they had played a good game against Montreal before that. So going to LA, you know, the fact that they had come back that over that weekend, they had a couple of days to rest, and this is basically a home game for the Ducks. You know, they're not traveling anywhere; they have some rest. So you're thinking that it's going to it's going to be able to continue and they came out looking pretty strong in the first period. I thought that they were generating offense, no goals to show for it. And then it just completely went to crap in the second period, like you yeah. talked about. The first period was relatively low event. Um yeah. like but, it wasn't amazing by by any stretch, but by their standards they looked they looked competent. They were they were making plays, they were attacking off the rush. And they, they were limiting chances against. And I think And that, that's the that, other big thing. Yeah. That's the big thing. We talked about it last week, right? Defense is the biggest issue. There there's issues with creating offense from any line outside of Zegris and Terry. Mason McTavish is starting to get to that point also where he is consistently generating and getting that secondary scoring from him is huge for this team. But limiting offense against, that's something that this team has struggled uh, significantly at. So the Ducks have the high-level skill where if they get a couple chances, they could be able to capitalize on that. And limiting the chances against is going to be so critical for this team. And they were able to do that in that first period. I mean, we're talking at the end of the first period. It was, in all situations, 0.82 expected goals for for LA. And I think it was like 0.8, uh, 0.81 or something around there, 0.79. For the Ducks. Um, yeah. So it, it was basically even if you're looking at it from that perspective in terms of the amount of chances. Uh, shot attempts, uh, similar. The Kings had a slight edge there. At, I think it was uh, 25 to 21, but it's still pretty tight, right, from a shot attempts perspective. Yeah. And so this was overall a good period for this Ducks team uh, in, or, in terms of limiting chances against. And then it all went to hell in the second period. Yeah, absolutely. That second period, just the penalties really hurt the team. They were stuck on the penalty kill. And to be honest, if it hadn't been for Lucas Dostal in that second period, that this this could have been much, much worse going into the third. They were down 2-1, but it could have that that margin could have been even wider. Yeah. I mean, that's partially one of the, the craziest parts of, of these three games. Just Lucas Dostal started all three. Or sorry, Dostal. Mm-hmm. Um, started all three, and I mean, LA per hockey viz were at 4.4 expected goals for throughout the course of that game, uh, 4.24 per evolving hockey, and he only allowed four goals. And, and yeah. so, this was a game where he was under fire, and he did a decent enough job. Sure, maybe he wasn't above and beyond in terms of being better than expected, but he was still better than expected, which is giving him t- his team a chance by not being worse than expected. And the Ducks weren't able to essentially build upon that and create offense for themselves. Because at the end of the day, all you want from your goaltender is to give your team a chance and to essentially be at expectation. So if your team's playing well and dominating play, you're allowing them to to go and win the game. Yeah. And, and that's what you want from your goalie. And you can't expect them to win you every single game. And so this was maybe not his best performance, but it was still good. Yeah. He he was just fine in this game. Like he, yeah. he came up big in moments and finished just above expected on the night. And 
I thought to me the biggest one of the bigger stories in this in this game going into the third period and just all the mistakes was John Klingberg just continue and, and Simon Benoit as well just continuing to make mistakes in open ice missed coverages bad reads and it really it really I mean it hurt the Ducks in that game and it, it's continued to hurt them but really after that first period the Ducks just didn't really show a whole lot Frank Petrano did get a goal on the night and I thought that this was one of the few games where the Ducks' second power play unit actually looked pretty good. And th- th- despite they, the- they had a couple of good shifts. Yeah, they had a couple of good sequences and they got some chances. The, the actual goal that they scored with Vetrano was not one of the examples that I would choose. But they've clearly made an effort on that second unit to get John Klingberg way more involved. He's yeah. shooting a lot more from that left flank. And I don't hate that tactic because it's a lot better than what we've seen previously, which is just, you know, Kevin Shattenkirk fling shots from the boards or just these low danger shots. At least they're trying something that's making the penalty killers stretch out a little bit more. Yeah. And also, so kind of another big talking point from this, which will be very similar in the games upcoming outside of just playing one good period, but the penalty issue and people might say, I mean, the, the Ducks broadcast is all over this of, the Ducks never get the benefit of the doubt from these calls, all these different things. The, the Ducks are always one of the most penalized teams. But the issue is when you're constantly defending and you're constantly on your back yeah. foot, you're going to take penalties and you're going to take them in a massive fashion. Sure, there may be some bias there from the refs. Who knows if you date back. But the Ducks played a different style way back when that maybe led themselves to have more calls or against. You look at Randy Carlisle years of kind of soaking up pressure that leads to taking penalties mm-hmm. and so i don't think that any of that conversation is relevant i think that you look at the penalties that are being taken and they're very poor discipline call or yeah that's penalties. the thing they're, they're not all of the ilk of just because you're chasing the game and gassed some of them are just blatant mental errors like in the too many men zone. calls well the, the like too that. many men call i actually thought i i wasn't too I didn't think that was too bad because Contois had the puck coming towards him. And I just mm-hmm. don't think there's any way he could have seen that. I believe yeah. I, for, I forget which player was, wasn't off yet. Um, but yeah, but it's stuff like that, right? The, and, the por- and it was, and the fact that it was three straight penalties in a row with very little time within like a kill. five minute span, basically. Yeah. 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 That, that's and, the, that's the big issue is that these are just destroying any momentum that they've built, any positive mm-hmm. energy that they've built. Because if you're in the box, you know, if you're going to the box three times in a row in a five minute span, you're not going to have the puck very much for, for the majority of that period. Yep. And, and so, yeah, I mean, then that, that's, that's an issue that's continuing to, that's going to continue to plague this team in these games that we're going to talk about next. Yep. And so, I mean, that, that third period was just, this third period was also just bad. The Ducks allowed three goals over the course of that period. Yeah. Um, set them back. They ended up just losing more the mistakes. Yeah. More mistakes. Although the Kevin Fiala goal, I just don't know if there's a whole lot. You can really say about that one. Nathan Beaulieu shouldn't come in for the hit and actually try to play the stick. Well, that's the funny thing, right? Is that if if Beaulieu just plays the puck there, there's probably no goal. Also, if Beaulieu just doesn't come in, Kevin Fiala probably isn't able to stay upright. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but the but the it was such a nice finish though by Fiala that I feel like you almost you almost just have to tip your cap. Like sometimes guys are just better. Like because that was my first reaction too when I saw that play. The immediate thought is, oh, how could have, how could the Ducks defenders have stopped this? And then you kind of have to think a little bit, like, okay, Kevin Fiala is one of the best forwards in the NHL. This is why, like, that's why it happens because yeah. they're just so much better sometimes. 
Um, but yeah, but it was it was pretty funny though to see Nathan Beaulieu just like not at all try to play the puck, which does yeah. give Fiala the opportunity. But still, there's very few players in the league who can actually put that one away. So yep, and you can't really blame uh, you can't really blame Lucas Dostal there either because no, it's no, it, no. it's such a kind of change up. It's 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 just not something that you can really see coming. Overall, in this game, I thought that Dostal was really good. I mean, again, he didn't. It wasn't the type of performance that saved the team like it did against Edmonton, but it gave them a chance to win in a game where they did not play well. So yeah, yep. Full marks to him in that game. Yep. Okay, let's talk about Minnesota. Yeah. So this was the fun one where <laughs> this is the amazing. Line, the lineup came out, and I feel like every single time I looked at it, there was just <laughs> something new that I noticed. <laughs> Um, so for those that don't remember, I'll run through the lineup right now, but this was on the back to back. Um, so the ducks had played the Kings. They were playing the wild the next night at home. And of course the, the ducks did not play well in the second and third period. They, they looked flat. They, they were taking the game on the penalties they took were bad, everything like that. So Dallas Akins decided that it was time to make some changes in the lineup and keep in mind, right? If you're on a back to back morning skates are typically optional. I don't think I saw anything that there was a morning. And, and skate. even if you do get a morning skate, like, how much chemistry are you going to build in one? Yeah. Skate? Typically when you make a, a wholesale lineup change, you want to have a full practice just so guys can at least have one practice with each other so that they can at least kind of figure out what they do, everything like that. And, uh, the lineups were completely swapped. And so you had Comtois with Henrique and Terry Zegers with Strom and Leeson, the Toronto <laughs> with McTavish and Silverberg Kirkland with Carrick and Magna. And keep in mind also the game started. It started with Kirkland with Henrique and Terry and Comtois with Carrick and Magna. And that's amazing. So you have Kirkland who. Well, also we should point out with the lineup that no Ole Eriksson Eck and a back to back. Oh, that. So yeah, that one, by the way, that caught a lot of flack because Ole Eriksson Eck's brother, Joel Eriksson Eck, plays for the Wild. Would have been a nice story, all these different things. I think you and I on our Patreon episode briefly talked about this, but I don't actually mind not starting Ole Eriksson Eck and starting Lucas Stahl style because it's not like it's a forward where you can give him a game and just kind of have this feel good moment, things like that. Like a goalie's in there and has to be in there the whole time. And if you look at Ole Eriksson Eck's numbers over the last couple of years in the AHL, he's it's been not, bad. he's been really bad. He's been sub 900 save percentage the last and, two years. So. And so this this seems like a situation that it was Ole Eriksson Ek is nowhere near an NHL goalie. He is up there to simply be there in terms of an injury as potential relief. If they're blown out and thrown to the yeah. wolves, maybe in that situation, but to start a game, there's just not the confidence in him at the NHL level for that. And that's fine. Yeah. And so that's why that, and Lucas Dostal, I know you and I both, the one are, argument is just that like you're running Dostal into the ground a little bit. Yes, you 100% are. Yeah. And so that's the one I could maybe hear. But I also think in the middle of everything, you want well, to start We also have him. a break He's, here. So Yeah, yeah, they have a little bit of a break. The fact that he is young and does have the lay does have that uh that youth within his legs. And we talked about this also, but it's probably not abnormal for Dostal in terms of what he's faced in the AHL also. Um so that's actually something I don't mind at all, but kind of looking at the forward group though, like I think Henrique and Terry, I mean, the the fourth line of Justin Kirkland, which, by the way, he got a call up and got his first NHL game against the Kings, didn't really stand out in any way for me. But 
This is a guy making his uh, playing Stood out more second. than Jason Magna has at all, like this entire uh, time. Magna made one good pass to uh, Mason McTavish. I, I honestly c- can't tell you what Jason Magna does well. I mean, yet. he's also fumbled the puck badly, and yeah, not not great. Um, <laughs> but I mean, you have Kirkland, who is a career AHLer at this point, playing with Henrik and Terry to start the game, which just makes no sense. But so back to the whole point of this lineup. Henrik and Terry, I think, outside of the fourth line, were the only two that have really played significant minutes together. I can't recall Zegra, Strom, Leeson ever playing together, Vitrano, McTavish, Silverberg ever really being together besides McTavish on the wing with with Strom and Vitrano, but that wasn't for that long. And so these are completely brand new, not only full lines, but duos within the lines. And it was just such a like galaxy brain move to try to, I guess, maybe jump the players or jumpstart the players. And the Ducks ended the first period with, let's see, 10 shot attempts. <laughs> and they ended the period with 0.27 expect goals. It took them until, let's see, it took them to until about halfway through the first period to get above 0.1 expected goals. Yeah, they got trucked in that first period. Like, and it's not shocking, right? Like, it... <laughs> It shouldn't be shocking. Well, part of you, it is you, that they're just not a good team, but also, and they're on the tail and back to back, all that. But also, like doing it this way with these lines, you're just not really giving yourself much of a chance at all. You're putting yourself in a position to fail, not a position. I, I to, thought that to succeed. There were some interesting things about this lineup that I thought you can maybe build off of moving forward. For example, I mean, the, the biggest thing to me is splitting up Strum and Vitrano, because those two have just been so bad together, have just been so porous defensively that I saw Strom and Vitrano being split up as, oh, an admission that this has not worked. But then with all the other changes that don't really have a rhyme or reason to them, it almost takes away from that possibility of that being a a true concerted effort to break them up and more so just line blender mode. Um, Because I like the idea of Mason McTavish with uh, Frank Vitrano. I think that Mason McTavish is is proving night in and night out that he yeah. can he deserves more offensive minded wingers. Now Jakob Silverberg is here on the other side, yeah, waving at us in this conversation. Although he did yeah. score against Calgary, um, but then Zegris to the wing, like that, that that that's the part to me that just made no sense because Zegris has been playing center, yeah, and has been one of the Ducks' better defensive players. And yes, this is like he's been one of the better defensive players and one of the worst defensive teams in the NHL. So it's not as if he's been stout defensively, but he's still been better relative to his teammates by a decent margin. Yeah. And so he gets shifted to the wing while Ryan Strom remains at center, who's just been, like I've said, abhorrent defensively. So it yeah. just sh- it just shows that if you try to inject some kind of meaning or takeaway from these changes, it, it immediately gets nullified if you look somewhere else to another well, change. And then the other thing, right? And this is my biggest takeaway from these changes right is that he instantly goes away from them well that's that's the best part right (laughs) is that within halfway through the period like by the end of the period everything was back to normal like like zegers was back with Henrik and terry (laughs) and so if this was some sort of message being sent right if that's what this was that message loses a lot of weight and not to say like he should have done this in the first place, but if the purpose of this was send a message, the message that was being sent was instantly lost all value. Right. Right. And so from the perspective of it's a poor coaching decision from a lineup management perspective, 
And I think from a player personnel management perspective, if you're trying to send a message, sending that message and instantly changing it when the game was still actually 0-0. They played like garbage, but they made it through that first Well, I guess on, 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 the flip, on the flip side, though, couldn't you argue that the team's not playing well, not responding to the changes, so he goes away from them? Like, isn't that also a good move, though? It So it's a good move, but it's also, I think... It's goes just to the point of, it, Well, it goes to the point of why would you make these changes in the first place, right? Yes. Let yes. If you're going to make a change, right, make a change and let it have the time to marinate, right? It's obvious that they weren't going to have chemistry. But mm-hmm. if you really believed, right, at the end of the day, a coach needs to believe in the changes he making, he's making. Mm-hmm. He can't just be throwing shit at the wall and hoping that something sticks. He needs to have reasonings, logic, things like that. Go through it with the players. And if you instantly go away from that, then... How are they supposed to have faith in that coach of understanding and knowing what he's doing if he doesn't allow time, uh, give the time that's necessary for these changes to have impact, right? Yeah. There, there's also some something just amazing about the fact that the Ducks lineups before the games are presented by Kettle One Vodka. <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't even it, think about that. Yeah. It's, it's like, yeah, either someone was drinking that while this lineup was made and that's how it came to be, or you need that to cope with the lineup. But either way, yeah. so not, not a amazing good choices. Instantly goes away from it. Um, Mason McTavish <laughs> is able to get a goal, though, in that uh, yeah. to give the Ducks a one nothing lead. Goal. That was really the only chance. Yeah, uh, is able to strip the pucker, get the puck at the blue line, goes in on breakaway, is able to... Um, is able to, to beat the goalie and, and get a goal in this game. And so McTavish continues to play well. He also scored in the Kings game. Um, he He's just really been playing well. He's on a point streak right so now. I think it was the Flames game. Flames game. Uh, did he? Am I he missed? didn't score against LA. Did he not? Okay. He did yeah. not. Sorry. You're right. Vetrano was the only one that scored. My bad there. Um, yeah, he scored against the Flames with that one time on the power play. We'll get to that eventually. Um, but, uh, yeah. And, and so, I mean, we get to the second period, though, right? And same story as L.A. Mm-hmm. Power plays, penalties against, penalties against, penalties against. Um, and and uh, so the the Wild, I believe, let me double check this very quickly. But the Wild had three power plays over that second period. Um, the Ducks took four penalties, but one of them was um, negated by a embellishment call on Marcus Foligno. Um, and so, I mean, it's the same story. The Ducks took too many penalties in that second period. Um, They somehow made it out of that, only allowing one goal against. So they went into the second period tied 1-1. But when you spend that much time defending, right, it eats into your mentality. It really kind of soaks up the pressure. It really kind of hurts your team. And they kept taking penalties in the the third period, too. It's not like it went away after the second. Yes. Right, two so, more minor penalties. Yeah, and then they just didn't play well. And, I mean, you look at the amount of expected goals that they allowed at on the power play, and it's just kind of goes to show that this penalty kill is not good, as we know all know. And even when they're not allowing goals, they're allowing significant chances. That's the thing, and, right? And, yeah. and it just – it when you're seeing your – I think there is something mentally to this, right, that really puts you on the back foot. When you're seeing your team allow these chances, even if your goalie's making the save – it really it doesn't build momentum for your team, right? If we want to look at it from this perspective as the game goes on and trying to essentially deal with that because all hockey games have ebbs and flows and you're going to have moments where you play well and dominate. You're going to have moments where you're sitting back low and you're not playing as well. Ideally, you want to play a full 60 minutes. You're on the front foot the entire time, but that just doesn't happen. No. But the way that you can do that is by having a very successful penalty kill that does not allow chances constantly clearing the puck. 
when you survive a penalty kill, that does not do that. And that's what the Ducks have been doing lately with all the penalties they have been taking. Even when they're killing them, they're surviving them. They're yeah. not killing them. Yeah, that's the thing is that they've, I think that the the penalty kill lately has gotten, like they've had, they've had so many opportunities that they've had some penalty kills where they've looked okay. But the problem is they're still, I mean, they're first off, they're killing too many penalties as it is. And they're still allowing a ton of chances against. And yeah. it's mostly Dostal that's just kind of turning everything aside. Well, another thing is if you're spending so many times killing penalties over the course of the game, because, I mean, against the Wild, the Ducks took, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, <laughs> eight penalties. And two mm-hmm. of those were negated, so they t- had six penalty kills. That yeah. is, if you're able to even kill all those, right? That's 12 minutes of the game that you are essentially not attacking at all in. Yeah. 12 minutes of a 60-minute game. Yeah, the opportunity cost is huge. And, you know, your your best players aren't on the ice, so they're not able to get into a rhythm. Mm-hmm. They're getting kind of cold on the bench. Like, it's just all these issues that compile. Because, I mean, we don't need to explain to people why taking a lot of penalties is yeah, bad. But it, it's pretty obvious. But yeah. <laughs> it's don't take... And, and But the thing is, like, it, it's one thing to say don't take penalties, but it's identifying the root issue is is the bigger kind of thing that you're after there and for the ducks it's just because they're so they struggle so much to control the puck and control the pace of play at five on five that's why they constantly find themselves having to take penalties and they're reaching in the offense and they're and they're also just very undisciplined like like there's just that and and that's a i mean I've tried to make this rule for myself of not spending much time talking about Aiken's coaching choices anymore because I'm just assuming he's not back at this point. But I I really do think that lack of discipline at such a high degree has to fall on coaching at some point. Yep. So. Yep. I mean, when when you're constantly defending, first off, it puts you in the position where you're always when you're in defensive zone, you are going to take stick penalties, you're going to take cross checks, you're going to do things when you're constantly defending and you're tired. And the other aspect of that is that you're going to take penalties in the offensive zone because you're not there very often. So you really are pressing and you're trying to to lift sticks. You're trying to do whatever you can on the forecheck to get the puck back when you are out of your zone and forechecking in the offensive zone. And so it's one of these things where if you don't have the puck and perpetually don't have the puck, you're going to take more penalties. It's just – it's not even a discipline thing because I think it's just part – I think that's underselling the impact of not having the puck. Because yes. that's acting like a team that has discipline would not take penalties in the same know, given situation. Yeah, like players aren't stupid. They know that you don't want to take penalties, right? Yeah. Like it's not like they're actively trying to take penalties. It's just that when you're, like you said, when you're constantly chasing the game, even if you're in the offensive zone, it's going to affect you there. So yep. should we take a break here and then yes. talk about the Flames game? Okay. Yes, I think it's time. So okay. uh, this episode's brought to you by Manscaped. So it's never too early or too late to play holiday music, and it's never too early or late to start thinking about gifts, whether it's for a friend or the friends in your pants. You can make this a season to be jolly with Manscaped. Do your little drummer boy a favor and use the Lawnmower 4.0 to avoid, avoid another silent night in the bedroom. Then add in manscapes top of the line shower products to have people thinking all i want for christmas is you santa cares about his sack and so should you look nice when you get naughty by going to manscape.com and using the code ctp for free shipping and 20 percent off 
The Manscaped Premium Package 4.0 is the one-stop shop for the man who deserves it all. It has everything needed to help you deck the halls from face to balls just in time for God. mistletoe season. The <laughs> Platinum Package has each product from the best-selling performance package, plus ultra-premium pre- body wash, Ultra premium two-in-one shampoo and conditioner and ultra premium deodorant. It's the best way to smell fresh from your Santa hat to your candy cane. The Lawnmower 4.0 uh, body trimmer and the Weed Whacker nose and ear hair trimmer feature the proprietary advanced skin safe technology to protect your delicate presence. Plus, both are waterproof, so there's no issue cleaning or clearing the snow out of your driveway. I know a lot of people on the East Coast probably are. Uh, Really want to clear that Arctic blast? Yeah, clear that snow out of their driveway. There's a 4,000K LED uh, light on it, so you can light the way like Rudolph. Now that you've groomed Candy Cane, it's time to make sure you don't smell like a reindeer with the Platinum Package Shower Products. All of Manscaped shower gear is sulfate-free, vegan, and made to have your skin feeling hydrated and smelling fresh. But smelling good doesn't stop at the shower. The Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner can solve stank problems all day long. Once they touch your sack... You'll never go back. The Platinum Package 4.0 sitting under the tree is guaranteed to put anyone in the holiday spirit and for the perfect stocking stuffer and in the brand new body buffer, uh, add in the body, the brand new body buffer, an incredible body scrubber that makes exfoliating easy, easy and a lot cleaner than that old loofah. Uh, so you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code CTP at manscaped.com that's 20 percent off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code ctp manscaped get your jingle balls ready for the holidays oh man there were just so many like innuendos worked in there that some of them that would have stood out in just a normal context were just lost because they were overshadowed by other ones truly impressive stuff they they went through your legs i just i, I can't anymore. instead of over your head I can't. Okay. Uh, and yes, vegan. So yes, I don't know what that means in the context of men's grooming products, but vegan. Okay. <laughs> yeah. The, all, all of their shower gear, vegan. Doesn't mean you can eat it though. I'm going to say that I am not a medical expert, not a nutritionist, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say you should not eat uh, these products. Would you go out on that limb? <laughs> Is it a limb though? Does it, does it count as a limb? Mm-hmm. I guess depends. Uh, depends on the individual. Okay, so <laughs> depends on the endowment. Okay, let's <laughs> let's talk about the Calgary game, shall we? Are, are you are you with me? Yeah, I'm with you. I'm You've with recovered. You. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. Let's let's try to do this. So different lineup going to this one and the biggest takeaway for me with these lines going to this game was mctavish staying with vetrano that was the thing that i wanted to see maintain from the minnesota game and it did so we give aiken some credit there yes you know i i just think at this point the strom like people are maybe not happy with the fact that strom is playing with contouan silverberg but to be honest who do you want to prop up right now who who is more important in the hierarchy here. Is it Ryan Strom who's going to be around and who's just kind of a known commodity or is it Mason McTavish who's on the rise and you want to give him as many opportunities as possible? I mean, that's the thing that's funny to me, right? Just with in general, like uh, thinking about this entire lineup mm-hmm. is that like you want to give Mason McTavish a shine. And I think it's pretty o- like, it should be obvious, right? To the coaching staff of who your number one and number two centers are right now. Yeah. It's Trevor Zegers and Mason McTavish. And it's not McTavish even close. being being the one. 
Whatever I, you want to do. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not doing this I'm, debate. Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not even, I'm not even buying this debate right now. The debate um, that our friend Connor is pushing yeah, heavily. Yeah, Con- Connor's really trying to push that. Uh, go go check out Late Arrivals Pod and troll him, please, yes. with, with that. Yes. Make sure to ask him that question. He's actually not time. really. I'm just, like, saying that he is, and I people know. are believing it. So That's it's why everyone needs to go ask him the question, why is he uh, Why is he trying to provide a split in the Ducks locker Why is he room? seeking to divide and not unite? Yeah. Um <laughs> okay um uh but yeah so i i just you want to be putting mctavish with with players that he can thrive with and i think that i mean i guess with the current lineup i'm not quite sure what else you could do i mean i think putting strom on the wing is a good way to do that but i think that there might be too much i don't know if it's pride whatnot everything like that built in there veteran well, the way they have the it now, I, there's just not many other configurations with yeah. the guys who are healthy, right? Like yes. once Grant and Jones come back, although Jones is on IR now, but once they and, have a full And Grant health, doesn't really help either that much. But like once they have all their healthy pieces, I think then that's when the Strom to the wing conversation is more at play. But for now, I mean, I think this is close to ideal. Like I don't know what else you could really do with these forwards. I mean, maybe you move Leeson away and have Contois on that line, but... Overall, I was I was happy with that lineup. And then to start that game, the Ducks did give up a goal. It was just kind of one of those point shots that got through. Yeah. I don't, re- I don't really think Dostal had much of a chance there. It does. I don't. I'm not sure if it was deflected on the way in. That may have been a later shot. But I don't know. Just not really one that I was going to blame Dostal on. And then really throughout that period to me, the story was Mason McTavish. I mean... He gets the one-timer goal, which is something that I think we've all been kind of waiting to see, is for him to really yeah. un- unleash that shot at the NHL level. And, I mean, they've they've made a conscious effort to set him up for it. They've put him on that right flank, on his off wing, to set him up for the one-timer. And he's been getting that shot off. Even against um, L.A., Trevor Zegras hit him with a perfect cross-ice pass that he just couldn't, he couldn't finish, but he did get it on net. And this time... Just picture perfect shot. I mean, he beats Jacob Markstrom to the short side. It just overpowers him, essentially. And I just thought that it was a nice, it was kind of a nice reward for Mason McTavish, who's been playing so well lately. And really, I think the decision to move him to that side, it's going to give him a chance at the Calder. Like that that opportunity to get so much more offense is, you know, it's it's still going to be uphill for him to win the Calder, but at least now he's got a fighting chance at it. Yeah, like he he definitely does, and I think as I was kind of just saying, I think eventually he probably is going to end up in a more favorable situation from a, mm-hmm. a lineup perspective. And I think all of that's going to help him thrive. And so as of right now, I'm trying to just do a quick little check on where points are at. Mason McTavish is currently third in terms of rookie scoring at 20 points, uh, tied for that with Cole Perfetti, and then Matthias Maselli at 22 points. And then Matty Beniers at 25 points. Yeah, he's five points back. I mean, it's it's attainable, especially yeah. now that he's getting featured on the power play. Yeah. The first unit is still not playing enough, shockingly. But they, that's, I, that's, I think, a big issue here is that while the second unit, sure, it was useful against L.A. And it looked okay at times against Calgary, it's, too. It's but... just not as dynamic. It doesn't create mm-hmm. as much offense as the first unit. And I think having this harsh, harsh minutes kind of yeah. agenda it's a one 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 to one split basically instead of just leaving that first unit out because you can clearly see how dangerous they are instead of just leaving them out for a minute and a half or so 
and also starting the starting power plays with the second unit at times like out of the tv just, timeout that's like, the part are, that kills me. yeah these are just weird decisions that that are going on um so yeah i mean that that first unit's become very very good it's one of the big bright spots for this ducks team yeah is that when they get on the power play they actually do a really good job from that first unit's perspective of creating offense yeah and then after he scored his goal mason mctavish tried to go between the legs he yeah. found himself all alone in front of the Calgary Almost net. Almost scored. It, he had Markstrom beat to his backhand and then cut back between the yeah. legs and probably took away his chance at the goal. But you could just tell that he's in... I hate to use these kind of cliches, but you can tell he's kind of in a zone right now where he's really yeah. confident with the puck. I don't know if that's maybe a move he tries you know, in the first game of the season where he's skating on the wing, just trying to tread water a little bit. So really, overall, that first period I thought was was a good period for the Ducks. Yeah, you know, they, you know, they came out with the lead and expected goals in yeah. all situations. They they played a very very good first period, and then the second period happened. And let me tell you, let me ask you if you've heard this story on this podcast. The Ducks took four penalties in yeah. that second period, and tell, were constantly tell people about defending. the shots though in, the, in that second period. Oh, you you tell me. You tell me where twenty three to one the shots for Calgary in that period. Yeah, I so mean, we won't belabor that point because we've already talked about it a lot. But really, the the highlight of that second period to me was the fact that we got to see Trevor Zegers with Mason McTavish and Troy Terry. Yeah, and they looked like the few shifts they got together, they immediately generated offense yeah. in a period where the Ducks did pretty much very little attacking let alone possessing of the puck that line every time they were out there there was a i think there was a shift where was it mctavish who came down the wing got a shot off you know a dangerous shot and then zegers came back down the same wing and i think hit the post same kind of yeah. shot so yeah. that's exciting and i think that that's that's a good choice by akins and and it's an indication as well of how they see mason mctavish right now that he's yeah. kind of he's part of the stacking the deck line yeah, and, and it's but it's also something that they should go to a little bit more. Give it a shot. Why not run it in a game? Like, I mean, give Zegers it a shot on the wing the, though. At that point, with those guys, like I think when you if you're having Zegers on the wing or McTavish on the wing, and there is the fluidity within a line, right, of having guys being able to jump low, jump high, everything like that. If you're loading it up with your three best players, I think that's something worth giving a shot and seeing what happens, right? Yeah. It's not it, ideal, but with the current lineup, it's not an awful idea to try to do. Is it is it is it a frustration to you that Zegers is the one on the wing on that on that line? No, because I'd really need to dive in to see how the the defensive zone for, structure ends up. From from an eye test perspective, I do think that right now Mason McTavish is just visibly doing more defensively. Doesn't mean that he's actually better defensively on balance, but he is like, there was a, there was a play in this game where he, I forget which period it was in, but he was caught in the defensive zone. Mason McTavish was, and the Calgary attacker stick handles past him. And McTavish is able to recover, get behind his defender, strip him of the puck legally, doesn't take a penalty. And then manages to clear the zone using a one handed little chip pass. I mean, it's just stuff like that where, that's not a highlight real play per se, but it's the kind of stuff that coaches are definitely going to notice. And that does lend credence to the idea that this is a true 200 foot player, Mason McTavish. So yeah, it sucks for Zegers that maybe he's not seen as that right now, but 
he's still on that line. He's still getting the opportunity. So I don't, I don't really see that as like this big indication of no any, any negative view towards him. No, and I think at the end of the day, also you need to watch how kind of who's bringing the puck up the ice because the biggest thing with Zegers at center bet- between or versus him on the wing when you mm-hmm. were to look back when he was on the wing, right? He was playing on the boards. He was really in that position. He wasn't utilized in a way that made the most of his ability to carry the puck out of the zone mm-hmm. and, and really attack with the dynamic pressure. And so I think really seeing if even if he's on wing, if he's able to work his way to the middle of the ice more in the defensive zone when the puck turns over, that's really what matters from that perspective. And so it's it's understanding even if he's on the wing how to best utilize him. Same thing with McTavish. And we've talked about a bunch, right? Putting them in position, positions to succeed, play their natural positions, everything like that. Part of that is also even if they're not playing their natural position to uh, help them understand how to kind of get back to that location where they're able to make the biggest impact on the game. Because yeah. it's pretty obvious that both of them as a traditional winger is not where either of them impact the game that much. No. And I do think, though, that for Zegers, being on a line with a McTavish and a Terry is a position to succeed no matter how you slice it. Correct. I mean, those guys those guys are doing so much work to get him the puck, where instead of being the one to maybe have to win battles and fish it out, he can get it with the head of steam and then go and create, as opposed yeah. to having to do all the work beforehand. So yeah. and it's a so, good thing. Getting back to this game, though, the Ducks stay in this game simply as a result uh, of... Of Lucas Dostal. I mean, he stopped 30 of 32 shots through two periods. Yeah. He allowed, <laughs> I mean, at the end of two periods, let me see, it was at 4.92 expected goals, and he allowed two. Oh. So, do you like, want to talk about the highlight of this game? What do you mean? There was a highlight of, of this game that, that did not occur on the ice, but that occurred in the Twitter sphere. What What do let's, you mean? Let's, let's just say I put myself in the line of fire. Oh, that was during this game. I think it was. Yeah, was it? Not? I just thought I thought that was just in a not like on a random day. No, I think it was during this game. Felix got baited hard and decided to say that Mason McTavish has more points over his NHL career than Quentin Byfield and Alex Turcotte combined. And let's just say that Kings, Kings fans did not like that. Kings fans found it and it worked its way around, and uh, Felix chose violence. Yeah, so just full disclosure, Lou is the one who put that in our chat or in our Discord during the game. And I just thought I just looked at that and I thought, huh, that's a that's an interesting stat. Like I legitimately thought that's that's a crazy stat. And just put it out there. No intention of riling anyone up. And then within like ten minutes, I was already getting quote tweeted, replied to by Kings fans left and right, and then I realized the error of my ways. So Yeah. This and then is all you, on Lou. And then you had a decision to make, whether you delete and just leave it with the quote tweet showing nothing, or you just you leave it and you live with it and you mute it. I didn't even I didn't even mute it actually. Oh really? I just let it ride. <laughs> wow. It lasted for days. Today was the first day where people stopped, like there was just no more war going yeah. on in the replies. Yeah. It it just goes to show from the Kinks perspective the tribalism of prospects. Yes. I think that's the biggest thing that I took away from it because there were plenty of Kings. Uh, people were like uh, like angry over people this People did not think that Mason McTavish would be on the Kings right now. Let's just put it that way. And that is a complete falsehood. Yeah. I mean, I like looking back, I think that I probably should have thought about this a little bit more before I tweeted <laughs> no. it because I didn't realize how like the injury issues that Turcotte and Byfield have, deal- have dealt with. But also Byfield's just played a lot in the AHL. 
like regardless. Well, like, it's and that's the the key thing here is that Quinn Byfield is the same class as, as um, Jacob Perot and Jamie Drysdale, where they were AHL eligible before any anyone else would have been, yeah, simply because of COVID. And so, looking at their development and kind of using that as a path for other, like it's just a very unique development path right now. Yeah, I just think it's crazy that Alex Turcotte has only played eight games in the NHL. Yeah. Like, I, but, I think Quentin Byfield probably would have more NHL games if he wasn't AHL eligible. I also think he'd have more NHL games if he wasn't um, playing for the Kings organization. That's fair. It, it does seem like they, like, I I acknowledge that this is not, like, a fair comparison. No, but, but I think but Mason still, McTavish would be getting NHL games right now if he was a Kings prospect. If he was a King, I think so. Because I just think Mason McTavish is a coach's dream. Yeah. So. Yep. Anyway. All right. Back Third to this period. game, though. The, yeah, the Ducks were still in this game. They, they only were, allowed a goal in that second period. Yeah. Thanks to Lucas Dostal. It was 2-1. to one, And then they get a power play early in that third period, and they're able to capitalize on that. Uh, or I believe it – yeah, it was the second uh, – on the power play, Jack Silverberg. Silverberg. Yeah. Kind of finding a, finding the puck. Stuck kinda, it to the haters. Yeah. Turn back time. Haters like Jake Rudolph. Wow. Just, just wow. Uh, turn back time, turn back the clock, was able to find the back of the net. And then kind of from there on, it was kind of a very low event period. Like, I don't think either team yeah. really did a whole lot after that goal to try to go and win the game necessarily. The Ducks had two power plays and didn't really get a lot of offense from those power plays um, and didn't really generate yeah. a whole lot. And was, I, didn't, oh, I didn't hate this game for the Ducks, to be honest. If you just remove the second period. if you remove, Yeah, if you remove the <laughs> second period... <laughs> and you remove you remove the four penalties. Yes, I mean there's this might be a bit of a stretch here, but if you just ignore that second period, like the Ducks did some good things. I think it does speak well to the fact that they were so bad in the second period and did manage to tighten up in the third because we've seen yeah. them not do that before. Well, I think a large part of that is the power plays, right? Yes, they took four penalties in the second period and they drew three in the third. Like, yeah. That's a big reason for that. And that's one thing that I think is important to kind of talk about is just the, I mean, the, the difference between five on five expect goals against and all situations is massive in this game. Mm-hmm. 2.5 in all situate or at five on five against versus when it loads five for in, um, in all situations. So nearly double the amount of expect goals against between all situations and five on five. That, yeah. That's a massive, massive difference. And so if you're taking those many penalties to make that big of a difference, it's really going to impact you. Um, but yeah, the, the Ducks were able to find a way to get a point out of this, get it to overtime. And I mean, I the thought, Ducks have been I, very good in three-on-three overtime. I thought John Klingberg was terrible in this game, just as an aside. Yeah. Just turnovers, bad. Like, he looks legitimately like he hasn't been playing for this team for the last three months. I just don't, I don't really get it. And and I don't think it's purely on him. No, it's on the coach. It's on the coaching staff to figure out how to best utilize him. He just he just doesn't seem to be fitting in. He doesn't seem to be making the right decisions. It's just kind of disheartening because I really thought that that was a move that had potential to be great well, for this. Let team. me ask you this: We've talked about this with other players. They leave the Ducks and they end up thriving. You yes. look at Hampus Lindholm. You look at. Uh, Ricard Hell, Raquel. Josh Mahura, Ricard Raquel. Ricard Raquel is having a fantastic season, by the way. Is he? Yeah, he is absolutely good for, having good a good season. Good for Ricard season. Raquel. Good, good for him. Um, but you you look at these guys that have thrived outside of Anaheim. And you look at John Klingberg, who was very, very successful in Dallas. Yeah. And comes here, and Dallas Aikens can't get anything out of him. 
Well, that's a I, massive issue. Yeah. I do think that of all players in the NHL, John Klingberg is probably one of the worst suited to come into a situation like this and thrive because he's such a, this kind of weird, unique player that throwing him into a system that, well, or a lack of a system, it's just not a situation that he can create order in. Like there are certain players, right? I would say Mason McTavish is one of them. If we're going to use Ducks examples where they can create a sense of order on the ice, where they can be kind of like the system. There's other players like a John Klinkberg where they're supremely talented, but they require the order to already be established so they can thrive within it. And, and he, it's just not happening with the Ducks for obvious reasons. So. Yeah, let me ask you this. Jack Holland just put out, actually, so Jack Holland does fantastic work, puts out his hockey tactics. I think there's one coming out in March for the 2023. Yeah. It breaks down the styles. And so he put out a little snippet uh, when talking about lacrosse goals with Zegris and kind of, I don't know if I agree with this being their offensive zone play the entire time. No, I think it's just an example. Yeah, but looking at kind of their setups, right, and, and looking at the offensive zone coverage low is fascinating because he has it as a swarm. swarm. Mm-hmm. Which kind of makes sense and makes sense why John Klingberg wouldn't necessarily be great at that type of defensive zone coverage, right? So swarm is essentially you're trying when the puck gets on the boards, you want everyone to overload the puck, swarm the puck, cause a turnover, get transition going the other way. And that in some ways can lead to these high danger cross ice passes. And so you have to have guys that are able to be aware of that and be able to get six into passing lanes. And that's not necessary Kling- necessarily Klingberg's game. Like, I feel like his game would be much more suited to a man-to-man or a zone coverage type option than something that that is as... I mean, a swarm is somewhat complicated, right? It requires everyone buying into that to be able to get it to work. And it just hasn't. Yeah. Also, I didn't want to point out in the overtime, the Ducks did get hosed by the officials. I like disagree I, on this, but sure. Well, I, I actually want you to make the case why this okay. is not interference. Because I read the rule. Okay. I read every single word in the rule, and maybe okay. I didn't read them carefully enough. But I don't see, I don't see how the play that leads to the Ducks. Well, it doesn't doesn't directly lead to the goal against, but is the reason why Trevor Zegers gets stuck on the ice. Why this is not interference? He's competing for a puck with, I believe it's Nikita Zadorov. Yeah, it's Zadorov. They're engaged why is, in. A, why is Zadorov on the ice in three on three? They're engaged in a battle, and Zadorov blatantly shoves him. Blatantly shoves him. Like, this isn't two guys kind of riding each other's shoulders. Two-hand extension, not a play on the puck, doesn't have the puck, isn't close to the puck, doesn't fit doesn't fit the parameters for possessing the puck per the rule. Like, I just, I'm, I'm actually baffled why this isn't uh, interference. I so think please. the reason why this one doesn't bug me that much is I think that they are shoulder to shoulder. They're, they're in a puck. They're in a battle. But they're not to shoulder puck. to shoulder. He shoves him. No, no, no. They're shoulder, they're, they're shoulder, shoulder to shoulder ends. When they're, he shoves they're, him. They're shoulder to shoulder through the neutral zone. They're against each other kind of in a battle. And sure, okay. he does turn and shove him. But I think the fact that it is a situation where they have physical contact throughout all of that, I think is what makes it fine by me. I think if that were, were to be called, I think I'd be fine with it. I think I also understand why that is being like going three on three overtime. I don't think it's an egregious miss personally. So you haven't really said that that wasn't a penalty. You're just saying, well... It's fine. Well, yeah. Okay. That okay. that's how. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. That, okay. That's but that's how a lot of shit is, right? In in the game, there's gonna be I, stuff. I that, thought it was more blatant than your. There, there's gonna off. be stuff on the borderline that you could see. I just don't think that that's borderline. And I guess that's the difference. I think I think, when, it's, I think it's borderline because they have physical contact throughout, it's, it's, and, and that's not something that's in the rule book. I, I completely and fairly. You're agree gaining with that. an unfair advantage by doing that. 
Like, but I think old- that you could make the argument Zegers was also he didn't do the two handed shove. That no, I think if didn't. you want to make the argument of that caused it to be interference, sure. But yes. I think the fact that it was both of them be, having the physical contact throughout it, and it ends up with that being the end result, I think I can see why the refs did not call that. I think that if they had called it, it would have been fine. That's one that's a borderline one for me personally. I think that the reason they didn't call it is because, I mean, there isn't actually anything in the rule about shoving a guy. And, like, maybe that's why. Because Well, it's just they have contact with each other the entire way. And, sure, he turns and shoves him, but it's not a situation. Like, he's, he's not even he, looking at the puck. Like, that's but the he, part that he gets doesn't, me. He also doesn't change his his path in terms of the way that he's going necessarily. No, he's, he's changing. He's looking the other he, way. He's he turning his body. Okay. He's still, his direction of his skating is still going that same direction. He turns, yes, and he shoves, but I think his overall like path so, remains the same. So when he, it, when he makes the push, he's actually facing the opposite direction from the puck. His no, toe I know. caps yeah. of his skates are facing towards the yep. blue line. Yep. So you're you're gonna stand by and say that that's that's. Still I think in he's the still moving in that same moving towards the puck though. I think that he has not gone out of his way to jump in front of Zegers necessarily. You don't think that him turning and shoving is not him? Uh, I think it's a little bit Zegers's way. Like I said, it's one of those. Sure, fine. I just think it's baffling that this is an interference, and I think okay. that. I, I think that if it wasn't overtime, they would have called it. Like that's why it wasn't called. I don't know. I don't. I don't think they I don't think want that, to decide. The I game. think that. I, and sure. there were there were there were multiple blatantly missed calls in this game too. Mason McTavish got cross checked from behind, behind the net, yes. right in front of the referee. Yes. And you, so, what would the argument be there? Oh, it wasn't you know blatant oh, enough. No, that was that was a cross check. Right, but that's my point. That was interference by the by the book. That was interference. And that, so, that one I'm more leaning on because I think it is a little bit of a gray area, but that one, sure. Like I, I said, mean, I mean, the I, standard for interference is actually supposed to be a strict one. It's it's written in the rule. A strict standard on acts of interference must be adhered to in all areas of the rank. So I just, I don't know. Is that actually applied? No, but that's th- th- that just shows that this, yeah. that's an issue with the officials. Again, that shows sure. that they made the wrong call. This is that, like with everything. If they're going to call, I think if they're going to call that, there's going to be a lot of inf- interference penalties throughout a game, which I'm, I'd be yes, fine with. Yes, but that's good. <laughs> like, yeah, I'd be like fine Make with. players interfere with other players less, more space on the ice, and eventually, I don't yes. disagree with that. I don't disagree with that. I just, man, I don't know. I I've, think from I've, the standards of how games are called, I don't mind that one. I think from the letter of the law perspective, yes, you're right. I don't know. I Okay. Okay. I think we are, we at least agree that the rule was not applied correctly here. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Okay. As long as we agree on that, then I can hear the other arguments. I just think on the rule, you can't argue this wasn't interference. Fair. But on, in terms of like, you know, referee and, you know, discretion and timing and whatnot, sure. But that's the problem with this whole thing to me is that yeah. referees get to pick and choose when the rules apply and when they don't. Yep. And so the Ducks ended up giving up a goal in in overtime uh, after kind of the Zegris and some of the other Ducks were caught on the ice for a long period of time, end up giving up the and goal. And Zegris doesn't look great on this sequence. No. But he's been out there for, I mean, at that point, probably over two minutes, if I had to guess. Could probably pull it up. Yeah. I, I but, think it was you know, he, he kind of makes this kind of half-assed effort at the puck, and it, and it doesn't look great. And it sucks for Zegris because, again... He was interfered with 
and has to get and get stuck out there, but does find himself yet again in a moment over time in a crucial moment that leads to a loss, right? I mean, we've seen this mm-hmm. with him before the season in overtime. It sucks, but I just don't think he's he's the well, one to blame here. And I think you take the good with the bad with Seagrass on that. You look at how many games he's won games for you in three-on-three yeah. overtime. And I think that that's the key aspect of, of this. And so, yeah, he was caught on the ice with Vetrano and Klingberg for a long For 136. Yeah. So a long almost- period of time of three-on-three overtime. Yeah, because it's it's exhausting. You're you're skating. I mean, you're going end to end a lot more. I don't know. I just I I feel bad for players when they get robbed of of a fair shake, right? And to me, that's what happened on that play. So okay. I don't know why I feel so strongly about this. Yeah, you really you're really dying on this hill. I mean, I'm not dying on it. I think people the people agree that that the silent majority agrees. Okay. <laughs> um. But yeah. But I think that that what's unfortunate for Zegers is that he gets stuck out there. And then he gets in this position where he's kind of flat-footed. I mean, he's completely flat-footed. Doesn't make much of an attempt to block the shot. You know, doesn't get into position. And maybe it's one that you could say Dostal should should have. But it, it's a it's an opposing forward who's allowed to just wa- or not sorry an opposing defenseman allowed to just walk in with the puck. You know, get the momentum mm-hmm. on the shot. So I can't really blame Dostal there. You would like to see Zegers make a better attempt at it, but. Again, when you're like we were just saying, when you're playing that many minutes in a row in overtime and you've already played a full game before that, like it's just you're just dead at that point. So, yep. So, Ducks end up losing this game, uh, lost in overtime. So, they finish the week, uh, 0 2 and 1, get one point out of the games. So, for those of you that uh, are on the Connor Bedard watch and were yeah. worried after the two straight regulation wins, nope, <laughs> uh, it's back on, it's, it's back on. on. Back uh, on. Oh, by the way, Jake, uh, you'll love to hear this. The Chargers just clinched a playoff spot. There we go. So, I'll be watching. Yeah, will you? I mean, I haven't watched much. You of this might season. not. <laughs> you might not. We'll Have you see. watched any Chargers games? I've this watched year? a couple games this season. There's been a lot going on. I'm a little bit of a busy guy right now. Okay, fine, fine. Yeah, we'll there, accept that. That that's a very good excuse for the next little bit for me. Okay, well, we're an hour in, which I didn't realize. Yeah, um, we should start getting some questions. Yeah, let's do that. All right. So here we go. We're going to start with your Discord. Then we have a couple on Twitter, then Twitch and YouTube. We will come to you. So I threw out a kind of call for questions on our Discord real quick. Just kind of Christmas-themed or New Year's themes. Before that, we had one that came from Olaf is Berserker saying, In this recent run of games with Dust All Up and his positive GSAX play, is the organization already setting him up for failure as a goalie by having this team play in front of him? No, I think he's earned he's earned the opportunity to to get more games. He's playing well, and you know goalies don't play in a vacuum. They're very much affected by the team in front of them. But Dostal is showing that he can rise above that and that he can make the best of it, and that's good for him and that's good for this team to be playing in front of a guy who's keeping them in it. Even yeah. if they end up still losing, at least they believe they have a fighting chance. Yep. Hey, OG Flo said, what are your New Year's resolutions? Uh, stay in shape. Get slash stay in shape. Same. I, I'm going to actually do the same one there. Uh, yeah. Olaf as Berserker said, what should be the Ducks New Year's resolutions? Get a new coach. Like at some point, whether it's in season or after, you need a new coach. Once the season is over, you need to take a hard look at this blue line and figure some things out. 
and have a good draft. Go go walk up to that stage, wherever it's going to be. I don't know where the draft is this year. And uh, draft whoever it may be. Connor Bedard, Adam Fantilli, Matvey Michikov, Leo Carlson. Doesn't matter. Get your yep. man. And, and, and they're going to have cap space this summer, too. So... They've got a lot uh, to look forward to. New Year's resolutions, boost up your uh, pending UFAs to be able to trade them at the deadline. Ooh, that's a good one. Yep. That's a uh, good one. Plant Rich said, I guess, the, oh, also Rooch in our Twitch chat says, yeah, the draft is in Nashville. Oh, uh, prepare, Plant- prepare yourselves for every hockey reporter saying, Nashville's tweeting great. Yeah. That, that, that the draft should be in Nashville every year. Prepare yeah. yourselves for that. Plant Rich said, what should be every, pl- every slash some players' resolutions? <laughs> okay, well, I don't think we're going to do every player. No. John Klingberg needs to just, man, I almost said something not nice. John Klingberg needs to, uh, I don't want to just say play better, but just like stop making life complicated for yourself. Make very basic plays. Get the puck out of your zone. Start paying attention without the puck. And uh, that'll help you in the short term and the long term. That should be the resolution. Play better. Yeah, uh, let's do this. What other resolution would we want? Uh... Let's go for Mason McTavish, win the Calder. Ooh, that's a good one. Yep. Uh, Tibalt said, what did each, and we won't do each Ducks player, sorry, folks, trying to cut down on some of the time, but what did each Ducks player receive for Christmas? (laughs) I don't know. Am I supposed to answer this, like, Uh, like jokingly? What did Trevor Zegers get for Christmas? Uh, He probably got a new Xbox controller, like a really fancy one. What did Troy Terry get for Christmas? Uh, I feel like Terry probably got dad gifts because he's going to have a kid soon. What did uh, Cam Fowler get for Christmas? Cam Fowler. Hmm. I got this. Cam Fowler got a fancy cam- uh, baby monitor camera. Okay. There you go. There you go. You're just uh, all over the baby monitor thing. Oh, it's a very good camera. We I set <laughs> it up today, and it, it was really good. Nice. Great for nap time. Uh... Lord H said, what did the Ducks uh, want for Christmas more, Bedard or a new coach? I think it's Bedard. Uh, the players want a new coach. Yeah. The organization wants Bedard. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Lewis X209 said, what did we get for Christmas? As in Jake and Felix get for Christmas. I think we talked about that already. We did. Anything else that you didn't I did get about? an In-N-Out gift card. There you go. 50 bucks. Wow. 50 bucks is going to go. It's going to travel. Oh, I also got Viore uh, joggers. I'm wearing them right now. Oh, thank thank you for that. You don't want to you don't want to display them on on the camera right now. No, I don't feel like standing up. Do we get extra Do we get extra bits if you do that? <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. Do we Do we get extra bits if I put my uh, slippers on and show feet? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we're past the hour mark. This show devolves after an yeah. hour. You all know yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, which ducks and ducks golfing said which ducks player would be the best Grinch and who would be the best Santa? Best Grinch, ooh. In past years, I would have said Ryan Getzlaff. Total Grinch. But best I, Grinch. I feel like, hmm. Kevin I feel Shattenkirk, like McTav- maybe. I was gonna say Shattenkirk would be a good Santa. McTavish has a bit of a chaotic energy to him. Yeah, I think he's a good Grinch. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. I, I like that. Yeah, Shattenkirk, well, he hasn't been, he's been the teddy bear, right? Yeah. That the prank. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Transex Zero saying Vetrano because he's always mad. That could work for a Grinch. It could. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right, so let's get to Twitter very quickly. So Chris Cober said, uh, you guys are big on players starting in the in their natural positions. If the Ducks are lucky enough to get Bedard or Fantilli, uh, what do you think they should would slash should do with Zegris, McTavish, and the player pick? Both listed at center. Bedard uh, is playing wing for Canada, though. Uh, is this a Crosby, Malkin, Jordan Stahl situation? This is legit a hard question. I, I don't know if there's a great answer to it, but I, I think that... I would like to see them try all three down the middle. Same. And just have and just have this kind of you know nightmare matchup situation for the you other team. You always have someone on the ice that can control play. Yeah. Like if, if it means that Trevor Zegras or Mason McTavish are playing a little bit less or Connor Bedard is playing a little less, who cares? Yeah. Like you're going to win those minutes consistently. And that's better long term throughout the course of a season. Yeah. But but you do have the option if, you know, if, I mean you could hell, you could play all three on the same line if you wanted yeah. to. Yep. Um, but I think the idea of spreading them out seems to be the way to go for me. Yep. And then uh, even Wilder Wing said, question for the bod, er, for the pod. Does Kasha sign a one-day deal with the Ducks before he retires the season? And will 86 or 25 be hung from the rafters? I miss Andre Kasha. I do too. Sad for him. him play. Uh, no, he won't. I wish that would be really cool if he did, but no. I don't think he has that those ties to the Ducks franchise, even though we would want that to be the case. Yeah. Although, if he does, put 25 in the rasters just for the joke of having it be Kasha and not Pronger. I feel like, 80, oh, I feel like 86 Kasha was my favorite version. 25 Kasha was always weird because 25 was always a number after Chris Pronger that was worn by a guy that was big. Yeah, and so seeing it's that a defenseman on, on number, yeah, seeing that on Andre Kasha was always weird to me. Yeah, Andre Kasha on this team would be fun. It would be picture what, him. What ghost of Ducks past would be a good addition to this current roster? Uh, Can't be like and, an All Star level player. Andy McDonald. Oh, that's that's wasn't he an All Star? He was point? once. Okay, well, not then. like a perennial All Star. Brandon Peary on this team? Anyone? <laughs> wow, uh, David Perron. Yes, that would be a good... I think he's been an all-star, too. Yeah, but whatever. Yeah. All right, here we go. We're going to go to our Twitch chat, though, and YouTube. Marcus so Pedersen for- would be great on this, team. Yes. <laughs> uh, so for those of you uh, listening to this, or uh, I guess listening is the only way, or on YouTube watching it later, we do a live stream of the show each and every time on Mondays. We've been doing it at 7 lately, and I think we're going to keep that just for various reasons. It's, it's worked nice. out better. Uh, you can find us at twitch.tv slash crashpond, or go to youtube.com slash crashpond, where you can watch us live. If you have Amazon Prime, you get one free Twitch Prime gaming sub each and every month, where you can help support the show more than you can imagine. So, we're going to start getting into questions. If you've got more, throw it in our Twitch chat and YouTube chat with question at the front. Um, so, I'm kind of going to go back and see if I can find any real quick, but we've got this one. Uh, from Brandon Pineda said, since uh, the one obvious offseason move is a new coach, what is the likeliest person to tap on the shoulder? Will it be an established NHL coach, considering who will be likely available, um, or an AHL slash college coach with the dearth of prospects? Hard to say. Really hard to say. But I think that my my cut and paste answer now for saying what Pavrbeek will do is just looking at what Steve Eiserman has done. And he plucked Derek Lalonde out of Tampa Bay. So I feel like he may go more of the established route for the next coach. Well, is Derek Lalonde an established guy? Well, I mean, he's just been in the NHL. Like he's, he's But he's been, been an par- assistant. He's not an established NHL head coach. Sure, but he's he's been part of a successful organization, well thought of, has been around. Like I would I view that as an established coach. Okay. 
I mean, far uh, more established in the NHL than in, in like an NCAA coach or a junior coach. Yeah. Patrick Waugh is not going to coach the Ducks. If no. that's what people are wondering. No. Uh, Sean Fight said, is Troy Terry forcing things right now? This from no. YouTube. No. I mean, if no. he's forcing them, quote unquote, it's going great. He's destroying defenders at the at the opposing blue line. He's, he's. I mean, in the Calgary, the Calgary game may have been one of his best games he's played this season. Like, he was everywhere. So I want to address this real quick, though, on this part. Because I, I think I get where he's coming from because there are plays where Zegris turns the puck over. Oh, did he say Zegris or Terry? Sorry, Terry, Terry. Terry, Terry. He okay. said Terry. My bad. Uh, where Terry is turning the puck over, trying to go through between guys' legs, things like that. It happens from time to time. But I think when you have a guy like Troy Terry that I think is constantly attacking, if he's successful half the time, that's getting the puck into really dangerous spots, a, still a significant amount of times. And so even though the times where it's not happening, maybe it sticks out as forcing it, the end result from a macro perspective is him generating more chances for than yeah. against. And the Ducks which have is the what puck and, and the other team doesn't. Yeah, Like it's still so, a good thing. Yeah. And so Sean Fight also asked, this is one for me, because he's like, I guess it's wrestling time. Uh, thoughts on Mandy Rose's release? Uh, my opinion on that is... WWE, uh, what's the best way to put this, should start treating their people as independent contractors. And it is a little bit two-faced on them for that after what they were built or what they sold and what they advertised and what they used to drive revenue in the early 2000s. And while time change, times change, it's a little bit two-faced. And on Mandy Rose's perspective, if she's able to make more money off of this and make it a much better long-term living for her, good for her. You know, I just love how serious these answers are in in such an unserious... This was a major point in the wrestling, uh, wrestling <laughs> internet wrestling community. In such an so, unserious endeavor. I, oh, I have opinions. Uh, this I one's kind of... I, I mean, she got, she got fired. I should quickly note that Team Canada played tonight, World Juniors. Yeah. Well, and Zellweger looked good. As did uh, Tyson Hines played, by the way. I didn't yeah. think I didn't know if he'd play, and he's he looked good as well. Per so. Connor Bedard uh, in that YouTube video, Mace or er, uh, Olin Zellweger is built like a tank. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, he eats he is the jacked. most on the team. Yeah, he's jacked per Connor I, Bedard. I, I'm sure he wasn't told that by Pavrbeek to bulk up. Yeah. At all. Uh, Rooch20 in our Twitch chat said, question, is the way Carlisle deployed his system any different from the way Dallas Aikens deploys his system? If so, please share some examples. Uh, is the way Randy Carlisle deployed a system different from how... So are Aikens... Aikens. Is Aikens different than Carlisle, basically? Honestly, I couldn't tell you if they're any different. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't really see that many differences. I think that the power plays... Like, the power plays are probably the biggest difference. But the personnel now is so much different than it was back then. So yeah. hard to say. But honestly, like, the way that the Ducks play now versus how they played under Randy Carlisle doesn't feel all that different. Maybe their defensive coverage is more man-to-man, whereas with Carlisle, they were kind of famously just allowing everything to the outside but not letting anything to the inside. I mean, we should give Randy Carlisle some credit. The first year he was with the... The, the first year of his second stint, the Ducks were a, a solid 5-on-5 five five team and went yeah, to it was, the conference final. It was, it was Boudreaux. It, it was the remnants of <laughs> I mean, Boudreaux. I mean, we have to give him some credit. That like, was the remnants of Boudreaux. Uh, let's see. Oh, Chris Kindred asked a question. It's very similar to the one from, uh, 
that we got from Twitter Bows. Assuming that, just to give him a shout out, assuming the Ducks pick in the top three, who have Zegers, McTavish, and Bedard, Fantilli, Carlson moved to the wing since they're all natural centers? Play them all at center. Yeah. Party. Like, like I, th- I think that that is the the answer. Um, and then uh, Chris Kindred also asked, will Comtor receive a qualifying offer? He'll be 24 years old at the end of the season, is on pace for under 15 points this season. It's an interesting <laughs> question. Why wouldn't he? I mean, it's the same reason. Why did Sam Steele not get a qualifying offer? Yeah. I mean, do you think that they're that just ready to part ways with, with Vax Comtois? I think he's I, having a fine season. I mean, he's been in and out of the lineup at times, been yeah. up and down the lineup. I feel like he's, I don't know, maybe it's just... It, like, it, it depends on, like, we've seen it, though, right? Where Paverbeek does, and for better and worse, does not have an allegiance to the guys from the prior regime. Yeah, I guess, like, yeah. Like, I, I would not be shocked if Comtois does not get qualified. Yeah, I think it's I, more likely that he's traded at the deadline than it is he's given a qualifying I, I wouldn't be shocked by it either. I mean, because you look back to last year and some of the, the murmurs of him potentially being on the move at the deadline, right? Like there, yeah, maybe there's something there, but I mean, he's on pace for 17 goals, right? Like that's not nothing. Yeah. Um, I mean, he has no assists, <laughs> but he's, he's putting up the goals and I think he's doing more of what the coaching staff wants him to do. I don't know. I, I guess maybe it's just kind of like this, loyalty thing to your guys which clearly Paverbeek does not have would the Ducks just be better served cutting ties with Contois and getting just a random free agent probably but yeah it would just be kind of nice to see a homegrown talent actually fulfill their potential in Anaheim well and I think also I'd like to see him with a better coach that's Um, the other thing right is that I feel like there is a talent there he's had he's had like I feel like the difference with Contois and Steele is that Contois has at least had one season where you could say, aha, there's something there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, maybe with a better coach, you you get more out of him. So. Yeah. Hey, the trainer said, question. Do you think Gibson is on a mental health break as opposed to physical injury after the game against Toronto? Uh, I don't think so. I think he it was known that he had some sort of injury going I don't into know, that may, game. That question may have been sarcastic. I, I don't know. But, but the thing with Gibson is that we know he loves to play. Yeah. He wants yeah. to play as much as he can. So yeah. I don't... I don't see him stepping away unless he physically cannot. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, Curtis said, if you made up a team of recent former Ducks, Raquel, Hampus, Manson, Mahura, uh, Sonny Milano, Sam Steele, how how bad would we lose by? I mean, the Ducks would be better. I mean, if they just had Sonny Milano on this team, yeah, they'd already be better. I I think the question is, is Dallas Aikens coaching this team? Yeah, no. Yeah, that that's the issue is that I, I, I think we're starting to see a trend, right, of these guys leaving and becoming better. And you can all point in one direction or a similar direction for that. Um, and the fact that Sonny Milano by the end of the season was not was what a third and fourth liner. At but times? I, I, I do think, though, that the Sonny Milano thing is not just an Aikens issue like Paverbeek chose not to bring him back. Agreed. Agreed. And that that is but is that, that is, it. I, Here's like my question. Sonny Milano, 16 points in 23 games. And yeah, maybe it's partly because the coach is telling him, I don't there. want to play this guy. Yeah. Which I think is possibly what happened. Yeah. Um, but it sucks because even still, like you're the GM, right? Like you're in a position to change mm-hmm. your coach's mind. Maybe he tried, maybe he failed. 
yep. who knows, but I think just seeing Sonny Milano with the point pace he's on in, in Washington, yeah, it's a better situation, but he was playing well in Anaheim too. So Yeah. Uh, Mark Jaraba said, question, what will it take for Braden Tracy or Jacob Perot to get called up? To be honest, they just need to play better in the AHL. Like, this is something I wanted, I was meaning to bring up. Oh, they, yeah. The goals have been a dumpster fire this year. Like, it's been I, bad. I, I wasn't actually aware of this until Same. I looked at the standings. It wasn't they, until, like, the last week or so that I realized this. They are 7-22. and 22. They don't have any OT or shootout losses, which is kind of interesting. Um, and their goal differential... So the Ducks are at minus 63, I believe. Yeah. The uh, San Diego goals are at minus 46. So, or sorry, not minus 46, uh, minus 41. So they've been terrible too. And no one on that team is putting up points. No one on that team seems to be standing out. Here's the weird thing though, for that question from Mark is that. Yeah. You have Justin Kirkland getting called up. You have them claiming Jason Megna. Well, I think so. I don't even I don't know if they're going to get called up this season. Honestly, I think that I think that was a Dallas against. I think that Pat Verbeek wants to see these guys have a full season in the AHL where they are just the guys that are dependent on to right the ship and that he thinks that they're better served playing that role in the AHL than getting, you know, spot duty in the NHL. Rightly yep. or wrongly, I'm not saying that this is like the the right it, argument. But you're I providing think, the argument. You're providing the reasoning behind it. Not, but I, and I don't think it's a terrible reasoning either. Yeah, uh, Reagan's all said. Will or have you guys done a GM mode in EA NHL games? Would uh, love to live vicariously through your GM moves. That to would make be fun. The Ducks a contender. Um, we just don't have time. We don't have time, and we don't really have the way to do it no. because it's not on PC. It would require some additional tech. And yeah. we're a little topped off with tech. Here's the guy who I'm surprised there's not more buzzed about, though, for a call-up is Bo Grew. He's got 19 points in 29 games, which, like, by his standards, is pretty solid. Yeah. Um, I don't know. He's a minus 17. Maybe that's the problem. But Maybe. And then Ray Gonzalez said, Jake, what is your go-to wrestling pod or YouTube channel? Uh, my go-to of late <laughs> has been Fightful. Fightful, I subscribe to their Patreon. Sean Ross App does great work over there. The Grap City podcast is something I try to listen to each week. It's become harder as hockey season comes back because it goes about two to three hours every Saturday. So it's hard to find the time for all of that. But Fightful is kind of my go-to. There's this guy on YouTube also, Promo Joe, that's almost like a botchamania. Really entertaining and really love watching it. Highly suggest if you like wrestling to go watch that. It has some really funny cuts to to watch on there. So those are kind of my go-tos for for wrestling information. Okay. That's it. Okay. Uh, I think that's it for us, though, on questions. Wow. Okay. <clears throat> well. Oh, any- we, we, well, no, this was last week. The Ducks got Michael Dahl's auto. I forgot that I already, uh, yeah. we, we spent a lot of time we, on we, that. We've, we've spent way too much time on that already. Uh, you know, much, need, much needed for the San Diego goals. That veteran <laughs> leadership. I guess they could use the help if, if you look at their record. Um, but yeah, that'll do it for the show, I think. Unless you've got yeah. anything else. Uh, Mark Jaraba just asked, was the San Diego Goals new coach a good hire? I mean, he's not looking like great a, right now. He's looking like a fill-in. <clears throat> he yeah. always kind of looked like a stopgap coach. Um, and I don't know. Like, he's, you know, Roy Sommer. He's the kind of known to be the AHL guy, right? He's been in coaching the AHL for so long. And yet this team has been awful. And that's not looking great. But I feel like 
with everything we know about Joel Bouchard and the culture down in San Diego during his tenure, I could see Pat Verbeek saying, I'm just going to bring in a guy like Roy Sommer to just kind of right the ship in the room and just return the vibes a little bit. Vibes guy? And just make sure that guys are being pros. Like, rightly or wrongly, this they care. Like this is the kind of stuff that they think about that we don't, right? Yeah. And so I could see that being the case. And so even if the, the goals are getting trucked on the ice, I could very well see Paverbeek being content with how things are going down there just because of how things are being run just off the ice. So, And with what we've heard about Joel Bouchard, like that's not a bad thing either. Doesn't sound like the most pleasant guy to be around. So, Yep. Uh, we just got another question from Root. Let's end with this real quick. Even if Paverbeek doesn't find his guy this summer, is he going to go and get a stopgap? Yes. Yeah. Dallas Higgins. Again, One-year deal. <laughs> Two-year deal. I don't think that's happening, but okay. <clears throat> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just going for chaos here. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is our last podcast of 2022. It is. Yeah, when we do the, do the next show, we'll be in 2023, and we're all out of Patreons yeah. for the month. So this is, this is it. Get, it will get, be t- get your last thoughts. It will be. Uh, it's been a... It's been a wild year for me, to say the least. Give me a reflection on on 2022. It can be from any perspective. Oh, well, I found out I was going to be a dad, found a way to buy a home, became a dad, <laughs> now have a five-month-old, or an almost five-month-old at the end of the month. So let's just say it's been a, a crazy, crazy-ass year for me. Has it been busy? That doesn't sound like it'd be too bad. It's, it, it, I, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, and, and we found out that we were going to be having a child on Christmas Eve last year. So oh, wow. It's officially been about a, a little over a year now. So Here you are, still been intact. A, been a wild ride, been a great ride, would not change anything for the world, would not change anything with this show for the world, and I'm kind of in reflection mode. So thankful Is for Jake everyone. Is Jake his feelings? So thankful for everyone that supports us. Our Patreon just continues to grow and continues to grow. Um, and, and that is honestly the biggest way you can support us financially, anything like that. It all helps us, helps us keep Jake the show going. Jake has a literal kid to feed now. So yeah, yeah. You're, you're helping feed him, uh, <laughs> everything along those lines. So, um, I'm just really grateful. I'm really, really grateful for this, for the friendship you and I have as a result Aww. of this show. Um, quite frankly, that's how we met. That's how we started talking and now you and not say this by the way no you haven't now you <laughs> and i like this is one of my closer friendships and i'm just very yeah. thankful overall thankful for everyone that listens thankful for the friendships that i've created through this show through the discord um i've made a lot of really good friends in in the discord in the community that you and i helped that you and i created like that yeah. that's what this is and it's kind of a continuation of the twitch chat and so i'm just very thankful Oh, well, that's those are all great words. I'm not going to try to top it, but I'll just say that this I'll just echo the sentiment. Super thankful for this podcast. Uh, It's become really like just a nice, consistent source of joy, you know, with life changes, things all around us that we can't control. Just knowing that I can we get to come back to this for an hour or so every week. Just talk about the ducks, talk about hockey. It's it's nice. Yeah, it's it's just a really nice kind of thing to have to, to lean on. And honestly, the, the people that make it are the people who listen. Uh, I'm not going to lie. If, if nobody listened to this, I don't think we'd still be doing it. Yeah. 
but over the years people have have come on and and have made it even better like the the little community we've built through the discord and in our chat during the streams and the comments we get on twitter and stuff like that's that's what makes it fun the discussion is what makes it fun it's us talking is is just half of the half of the fun for us it, it's hearing what you guys have to say and and feeding off of that it just it helps keep it going it gives it energy yep yep exactly so thank you everyone and hope you have a great and safe I don't know why there's always, why do you always have to say have a safe, happy new year? I don't know why that's a thing. Uh, because there's a lot of very dumb people. No, but this is like a thing with new years, like pre the world going insane. Like, no, this is not about the world going insane. Okay. Okay. This this is, there's a lot of dumb people on new year's Eve that will, uh, that will get drunk and drive. Okay. There, there I go showing my privilege again, but yes. So stay safe on new year's Eve. Uh, get an Uber, get an Uber, uh, if you are going to drink and if you don't drink and if you don't do anything crazy, that's fine too. I feel like we need to normalize. Like just, if you don't want to do anything, don't feel the pressure. It's, it's I'm going to be in bed at 11. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I was thinking about that. Like I, I'm going to be with some friends and I'm thinking, am I going to have to stay up till like one potentially? Like, I don't want to do that. I'm, I'm going to watch the East coast ball drop and then get in bed. Yeah. It's going to be a great New Year's. I Eve. would rather do that than what I'm going to do, but, you know, obligations and such. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, okay. It's not that I don't want to be with my friend. <laughs> you know, it's not that I don't want to do that, but it's just, you know, in an ideal world. Anyway, before I get myself in, in trouble. Yeah. But if you're, if whatever you're planning to do, hope it's a great one. Hope yep. 2023 treats you amazingly. More life. Um, Yeah, that's all we've got. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next year. Yep. Bye.